0: What's cracking lovely people? Welcome to the Big Feed Up HQ podcast, episode 168. Oh, come on then, settle in. Thanks devoting your time, ears, attention and focus to the show. I'm your host, Matt Gardner. I'm a nutritional therapist specialising in sports nutrition and health span by trade. I also work in digital healthcare as a health coach for pre-diabetics and type 2 diabetics. I'm a food fanatic and I love a bit of outdoor fizz the pod generally focuses on nutrition movement and outdoor experiences and if you like the show please share it with someone ultimately it's the only way the show will grow you can also subscribe on soundclouds apple podcasts and spotify and do me a solid and leave me a review on apple podcast the link is in the show notes so 33fuel and i've been working together for over three years to bring you the show 33 fuel-produced natural and powerful sports nutrition products and you can use Mat10 checkout for 10% off your first order. This time of year when autumn settles in, oh, I like a tablespoon of their greens powder once a day mixed in water and as I prepare for a trail running event, I like to use their natural energy drink, three to five tablespoons in water before and during my bimbles. Have a ganders and I hope you find something useful. Right, today I'm speaking with James Hudson. This is the third time James has appeared on the show and I'm very excited to speak with him about his most recent challenge, running a 100 mile race. Oh, what? Let's get into it. James is a sports nutritionist by trade and founder of Nutrition for Energy, focusing on improving performance through food, guiding clients to long-term success and he has a six week challenge. I hope you enjoy this one, lovely people. Enjoy the show. James, welcome back to the show, mate. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, it's excellent to have you back on. i myself a cup of uh, turmeric and ginger tea. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, for those of you who are new to James, definitely get on his Instagram. I've left it in the show notes. Everything you do, mate, from a, a hydration perspective, food perspective, everything's so colourful and you're always experimenting with different things. That's what I love. So talk us through that. So how, how have you made that this morning?
1: Well, I was quite lucky in that I got some turmeric root from Abel & Cole, who are a food delivery company. And a lot of the time you're thinking, well, what do I do with that? Maybe you can add it to a curry or something. But post-run, I've just been in need of some anti-inflammatory rich foods. So I've actually take the little root and they're probably about half the length of your little finger. So they're really small, but just maybe grate half of one of those into a big IKEA pot of tea. And then also slice maybe a thumb of ginger and put that in. And then a big pinch of loose-leaf green tea, fill that up. And I've probably got a litre of green tea, which I'm now drinking over a couple of hours in the morning. And that just, it tees me up from a hydration point from the day and I feel like I'm gaining loads of goodness. So.
0: Potent. Mate, that's brilliant. And then, yeah, like you said, in terms of the, the green tea, the properties in there, a bit of caffeine, you get the hydration side of things as well. And do you feel quite level on that kind of thing? Is, is the ginger yes. is the ginger come yeah, through? very
1: much so. The, Consistent? I'm a big caffeine responder. We'll probably get into that during the 100. But I find with green tea, the, the L-theanine does tend to level it out a little bit. Mm. So I, I drink a lot of green tea, but I do only have it in the morning. I try and stop having caffeine after lunch just because I can't sleep otherwise. So, yeah, it's a much more level energy. It's nice.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I've been experimenting, like I'm doing, well, we were talking before the call, I'm doing some days from home and some days where I go into a facility. And the days from home I'm doing, I'm I'm training first, eating and then having my, my coffee. So I'm, in terms of my caffeine intake, I, I quite like coffee between maybe like half nine and eleven now. And, it, and, it, and yeah, I think it feels better having it later, but it takes discipline, especially getting out in the morning and exercising in the smog of london without a coffee just trying to do you know big glass of water and go but i suppose it's just experimenting to see what works for you isn't it yeah it's fun in that routine definitely 100 all right well mate before we get into the challenge um i've put your other two shows that you've you've appeared obviously on here you've been so kind of um, yeah really 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 great with your time over over probably the last what was it year year and a bit we've had you on a few times so maybe give the listeners a quick rundown if they are if they're new to you if they're new to the show and then it'd be brilliant to get into your new challenge that you've that you've obviously just nailed
1: yeah of course so it was probably almost two years ago that we first touched base and that was at the very start of my business which is Nutrition for Energy, it's a nutrition consultancy, basically, in sport nutrition. People looking to do triathlons, marathons, CrossFit, just wanting to improve their performance. Much like yourself, wanting some expert advice, really, on what to eat, to make them to recover faster and get their times down. So the business has been going really well, i have been putting a lot of energy into the six-week challenge, which is very different to a lot of the six-week challenges currently being marketed on Instagram it's it's not about lose as much weight as you can in six weeks where I just sort of was seeing all this stuff and it was leaving a bit of a bad taste in my mouth I thought well I want to create something that is all about long-term success and as you know doing your role it's all about education is and that's how you get that long-term success so I suppose marketing it a little bit as a challenge is just sort of gets the buy-in and gets people excited by it. But it's an educational video series with action points. So I've been trying to channel as many people through that, and it's really heartwarming to see the success these people are getting. And it's the whole reason I left my job in the supplement industry, because that was focusing on short-term success. And starting my own business, you're able to do what you want. I thought, right. Although it's probably not a very good business model to teach people that they're ultimately not going to need you and they've got all the knowledge um i wanted to put my time and energy into creating that challenge so it's been so rewarding just going through that and i'm now actually looking at evolving that and re- redoing it and making it even better
0: oh brilliant so it's a, it's a framework in a sense but then also you're there to personalize things people can exactly. set goals yeah. and i've seen on the on the website too you're giving a snapshot like there's a few good screenshots of I won't call them lessons but you know there's each section is clearly labeled and then people can see what they get out of it and then obviously they can dive into some of the the key specifics that's important to them with you mate so that's brilliant and do you obviously we know each other quite well but for the people listening do you do you enjoy creating that digital content I know you've had fun with green screens you love getting in the kitchen like me you're taking (laughs) photos of food obviously it's work but How do you find that? Is that something you're still enthusiastic about? Or is it really kind of jumping on that um, hamster wheel of content and trying to keep up with the the ever evolving nutrition and fitness industry online and especially on Instagram? How's that all going?
1: I like coaching. I, I used to do a fair bit of rugby coaching. I like explaining things in a way or trying to explain things in a way that really lands with people. So actually going through and making the challenge was a lot of fun because it was creating a PowerPoint slides with loads of visuals, with things moving around on them, explaining everything in lots of different ways. And then also, like you said, putting myself on a green i sign there so that you don't just have to look at the numbers and the pictures, but you can also engage with me explaining it all. So yes, I think Instagram, as we all end up doing that as our job now, you do lose some of the fun thinking about content. But if you can step back from that and think, well, I'm quite privileged in a way to be doing something that I do enjoy and and look at it that way.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's a bit, to put you on the spot a little but with some of your participants, clients, you know, probably now friends as well as you go through that process, some of the challenges and barriers that, that you encounter when when they're starting off and you've got all this fantastic content uh, have you found there's a few themes with people is it trying to get their energy levels right or are they kind of confused there's a lot of decision fatigue around food products or what are the kind of themes i suppose when people start on day one that that you encounter that they're um maybe not confused about but maybe frustrated about looking for answers you know that's why they've come to you in the first place maybe can you touch on that for a bit
1: yeah i think very much so people want to do everything all at once So it's like if you're setting out to run a marathon or a half marathon, you don't start by running a half marathon or a marathon. You start with a really gradual training plan, and it kind of makes sense when you think about it like that. But when you want to make nutritional changes or changes to your diet, everyone thinks, right, I'm going to completely change everything, and then that becomes exceptionally difficult, and they can't sort of sustain it. So having the structure where it's four videos a week action points things to do it then becomes very easy to okay I'm just doing a little bit I'm doing a little change and then it's 24 little changes over six weeks that sum up to be something really big and positive but it's the fact that everyone thinks right well I'm going to go vegan I'm going to be really strict I'm going to do this without the, the background to really make that work long term so though I find that people want to do a lot, and it's really exciting that they're so motivated. But actually, we need to start doing smaller things. I think the light bulb moment people have during the challenge is really in week two, where we get into carbohydrates. And there's so much misinformation about carbohydrates that they're all labeled bad. Or, okay, well, some of them are really good, and then it's really difficult to manage how much you're having. So by breaking it down and looking at how you, I suppose periodize a little bit too complicated, but basically just how you split your carbohydrates throughout the day so that you've got more energy for your workout and also you feel more energized at work because most of the time people aren't full-time athletes, people have day jobs and we end up having this dip at sort of 3pm just because we might have had a small breakfast, maybe a grab and go salad at lunch to make that a healthy choice then we've hardly had any carbohydrate over the course of that morning and mid-afternoon so it's no wonder we get to the afternoon slump and you're in a meeting thinking i'm absolutely knackered then you know i have a big sugary pick me up to sort of get over that and then you're flying in a bit buzzing maybe too much to then go for your gym session. so just by periodizing it and explaining why that's all happening then allows people to make more conscious and informed choices around their carbohydrate intake And I find that then really helps with the energy levels. In terms of why people want to do the challenge, I think a lot of it is body recomposition. But actually, a lot of the time as well, the people are so invested in their health that they want to have the long-term success. And that's what attracts people to this challenge is because it focuses on long-term success. And I think that's what makes it very different to most challenges. Like The first weeks on goal setting, And then the last week is on maintaining consistent because you have the the mid four weeks where you're learning all this awesome nutrition information. But if you can't do that consistently, then what's the point? So I made sure I put in that maintenance week so that you can continue to do it. And seeing clients who have gone through the first round of the challenge back almost a year and a half ago, and they've now sort of reached their body weight goals of 10 kilograms less than they were, And they're now adapting their goals and they're changing to be more performance related.
0: It's, you know, it's incredible. Wow. Yeah. So success after making a change and the split between I was hearing around the carbohydrate periodization. So training meals versus anytime meals, for example. So putting those carbohydrates around your training meals and then further away from your workouts if you need to tweak that. And, you know, you're obviously a food first um, advocate and the good thing about your Instagram is you just always display so many different options mate you've got you know Rice Krispies all the way up to homemade sauerkraut and things like that so if people are hungry or looking for options and things like that George sorry James is always um, yeah you're always just very clear and honest about what you're putting in you know in your system and also what you're experimenting with not only growing in your garden but buying products um, especially some of the meat-free protein options and things, mate. So, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. It's brilliant. So hopefully that's given everyone a really good background into you and your six-week challenge, uh, your your values, your ethos, and then also, I suppose, yeah, the nuts and bolts behind it too. So, mate, that's really kind of you. So selfishly, I really want to get into this 100-miler. So I know when when people have maybe read the title of the show or they've found out about it, you know, we've probably posted about it or something, but... Um, let let's try and break this down I'm not really too sure where to start mate and and I know there's probably a, a massive journey into you kind of entering this race and and why so maybe if we could touch on that first and then I suppose yeah over to you where where you'd like to kind of dive into it maybe if it's the day or so before or maybe we focus on the actual event in itself you know that the 24 hours i know you did it in less than 24 hours but the 24 hours or so that it took you to <laughs> only by like
1: five minutes <laughs> wow
0: well mate yeah so so a little, a little bit of context behind the race so again you know beforehand you were training predominantly strength power crossfit i know you still do a lot of that now but when we met two years ago mate you you know you had that you had that kind of in front of you and that was something you were competing in quite a lot so it was a big it's been a big turnaround in a short space of time for you to become an ultra runner, you know? So maybe we touched on that first. Yeah. That's
1: what made me want to do ultra running. It's a good question. Probably lockdown. I, I'm going to put a bit more context in this. A couple of years prior, I read the book, Born to Run and it just planted an ultra running seed in my head. I thought I always want to experiment with that. I always want to maybe just, well, What attracted me to ultra-running is the fact that you don't necessarily, you're not training the body, you're training the mind to be able to tolerate pain and put up with pain. And it kind of attracted me to it because I thought it would make you just a more well-rounded athlete because if you've got that mental resilience and then you can combine it with whatever training you're doing physically, you can become a really strong, well-rounded athlete. So when lockdown happened, suddenly I was thinking – like you said, I was trying to progress with my CrossFit goals, I had these aspirations of top 100 in the UK um, for the Open and was progressing quite nicely towards those, but suddenly couldn't get in the gym and just thought, well, what am I in control of? I, I can go out and run, I can do a lot of running, I like running, fortunately, so I thought, well, let's just park the CrossFit goals for a bit and I'll book in my ultra running ones. So. I booked in two races. I booked in a 40 miler in Chalfont, uh, which was six laps of about 11k, and a 100 miler because I didn't really want to spend too much money doing loads of races. I was actually asking you a fair bit if you wanted to join on any, but we weren't able to. We um, <laughs> weren't able to find a race that really fit. Yeah. So I had the 100 miler in September, which I was working towards as the main goal. So. Just fortunately, I found a running coach who made an awesome program and I very much like feeling like I'm on track, like I'm on plan because then I can organize my nutrition and work around it and I feel like I'm progressing as a athlete or person. So the 40-miler was fun, uh, ran it reasonably quickly. I, I liked the idea that it's a very different environment to a marathon where you're not just on your limit the whole time. Like, there were some supporters, I had some friends that went and watched and you know, take five minutes, take ten minutes, have a chat. <laughs> like it, it, they, The actual time didn't really seem as important as, say, running a marathon or a half marathon. And that was quite cool. I quite like the fact that you're just chatting and meeting people. What I did learn after the 40 was I was super scared. <laughs> I think I was running in the last sort of four or five miles thinking, I've got to do all of this again and a half for the hundred and that was yeah the the feeling was I was super scared. Had a good training block maybe four or five weeks then leading into the hundred where I was people often wonder what the training's like for that. So I was doing maybe four hours running on a Saturday very low intensity and then you'd back it up with three and a half hours on a Sunday, that sort of thing and then you might put in a little bit of intensity to mimic some hills but it's basically just long doubles on the weekend and long sort of training runs as well throughout the week. <laughs> so you're building a lot of volume. So that's what made me want to do the 100. Um, I was just couldn't really progress with CrossFit. So I stopped strength training because I didn't want the 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 blocking of any of the systems. And like, so I could improve my running as fast as I could. Um, I lost a lot of weight because it makes it easier to run when you're less heavy so i was about 83 kilograms when we spoke and i was doing crossfit um so when i started to run uh when i started the 100 i was 76 so yeah i lost a total of 7k which felt quite a lot I sort of kept people being like hey you look really slim skinny <laughs> um but that, that teamed me up for the race so the day beyond just to start the day prior to the race Mm. Two days prior to the race, I went on a very low fibre diet because having done long runs in the past, I was experiencing GI issues. So those urgent needs to go to the toilet or just feeling a bit bloated or wind. So I didn't want to experience any of that because I knew I was going to be running for a lot longer than I have done in the past. So I was eating a diet consisted mainly of Rice Krispies orange juice, um, rice, <laughs> I mean rice is the theme there, it's basically carbohydrate without fibre, and liquid carbohydrate. so I, I like ginger beer, so i bought some quite sugary ginger beers to sort of top up with liquid carbohydrate, there was some protein in there but not that much, and not that much fat either, so that I wasn't over consuming calories, but it was just having the majority of it from carbohydrates. Also make sure I didn't do that much exercise on those days, so that all the carbs I was eating really stuck with me so I was feeling I was feeling okay a couple of days prior I'd sort of gone to the chiropractor and got realigned I was like yeah body's in good shape and then as it drew closer to the start of the race I just started feeling nervous or like had big anxiety and I don't really ever experience that so that was quite novel and unwelcome (laughs) Um, big headache, just not feeling in a good way, which isn't really what you want to be feeling prior to quite an intense race. But I think it's actually fairly normal, and I don't think people normally talk about it. But yeah, the, typically the night prior to this big event, you have a horrible night's sleep, and it's, <laughs> people expect that you're probably going to be uh, all tucked up nice and you're going into it fresh, but God, it was, it was a horrible night's sleep. I, um, I just kept waking, or sweating loads, didn't know what I was doing. Um, I wish I hadn't looked at my whoop band in the morning. That was a massive error. I knew it wasn't going to be good, but I think almost like you, if you have a, a wound or something, you must peel back the plaster and have a look, to see what's getting on, even though you know it's not going to really help. I, I looked at the whoop band and it was 13%. I thought, yeah, that's, uh, that's probably how I feel right now. I, I don't feel good. Still had a headache, which wasn't fun. But got to the race, so we got to the start and started to feel a little bit better when I was there. So we took some photos and stuff, and the race organiser teed us off. We, but I'll, I'll get into the nutrition of it actually, because the night prior I, I planned on my nutrition, had this really elaborate, well, maybe not that elaborate, I had, I had compartmentalised the nutrition into marathons, basically. I've done have this for the first 25, because I know I'm going to be seeing Verity at that stage in my support team. And then there's a drop bag at the halfway point, and then it loops back around to that drop bag at the 75-mile point. So I knew if I had enough food to cover me for five hours-ish, then I'll be able to pick, pick up those batches, basically, put it in my bag, and I'm well-fueled. The food options I had prepped were I I tried to break it so I had sort of morning foods for the morning bits, I had sort of brioche, hot cross buns. And then as it progressed through lunch, I had uh, jacket potatoes with marmite and salt. So basically lots of carbohydrate rich foods. And then I had some sweeter options for when I needed more of a pick me up flapjacks, chocolate yummies, things like that. The the nutrition plan went completely out the window from about three hours. I'll get into that. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't listen to the advice given to me about starting fast because, I don't know, I think naively I I went out way too fast in the 40-miler and then was just able to hold that and, and felt fine and didn't really... I don't know, I just thought... or maybe I'm different, <laughs> maybe I can run way too fast and I'll be okay. I mean, with hindsight, it was a terrible decision. We were I ran the first half marathon in under two hours, which would have set the course record if he carried on at that pace. So, it, like, with <laughs> Matt's shaking his head here. Yeah. with um, With hindsight, it's just a ludicrous, ludicrous plan. And I set the, I tried to organize the, timings but my predicted timings that i gave to my support teams right at these points i should be here i based that on finishing in 20 hours so i sort of thought maybe about five hours for each sort of 25 miles might be about right again with hindsight that was still way too quick if i had run it in 20 hours i would have come fourth in the race wow um so I think that was a bit of an overestimation and shows how naive I was, but first, the first sort of half marathon I felt great. Um, Finally running, having felt so anxious and headache over the last 48 hours, sort of running was like, oh yes, something I can do, I'm feeling better. But I hadn't planned my nutrition for that intensity. Going back about my journey towards this, I tried to control as many controllables and learn as much about my body. So I'd actually gone and done a metabolic test to find out when the tipping point is when I start burning more carbohydrates than fats. So I'd planned my nutrition based on the fact that I was going to be running at about 140 beats per minute. So then I don't need excessive amounts of carbohydrate because I'm using some of my fat stores as well. So I think my plan was about 30 to 40 grams of carbohydrate per hour mainly whole foods which i stuck to but then i didn't stick to the right intensity so the result of that was after the three and a half hours of running i was coming into a marathon and i was severely dehydrated because even though i was drinking to plan i wasn't sweating to plan i was sweating so much more than i had anticipated and it was also a hot day. So the heat due, the heat and the intensity just meant I was losing a lot more fluid than I was taking on. And also I was burning a lot more carbohydrate than I was taking on. So three and a half hours in, I depleted my muscle glycogen stores. The carbohydrates I was taking on weren't sufficient. So I bonked I hit the wall just before a marathon and wasn't expecting to do that the whole way around i thought i've nailed my nutrition plan I've got to stick to it but i just very stupidly didn't follow the run plan um <laughs> and for those who are bonked they'll probably know what this is what it's like but you have the the hollow feeling you don't want to be there i think with the combination of the dehydration i was very dizzy but it's more the mental side the fact that it just it makes you want to give up And I hadn't done much train low for throughout the training plan, so I wasn't well accustomed to getting low, which then means all the symptoms are a lot worse. But fortunately, I managed to get a little bit of food down me. I met the support team. I say get the food down me. I should probably explain that I was following this more whole food diet plan. And due to the dehydration, it was becoming exceptionally difficult to chew the food. So something like a hot cross bun, for example, would normally feel soft, it normally like nice to chew it down. So I was having something like hot cross bun with a bit of peanut butter and jam, but I'd put it in my mouth and chew. But due to the lack of saliva, it just stayed the same consistency, which then made it difficult to swallow. So I sort of developed the technique of having a big slug of uh, fluid from my camel back and using that to make it a lot more moist and then was basically swallowing big clumps of it whole. That allowed me to get some food down, and then met the support team. Had lots of orange juice, which was great, so I kept some liquid carbohydrate, and sort of walked off, still feeling very low, which was probably the lowest moment I had in the whole race. So I was strafing a bit, big dizzy headache. Um, fortunately, that only lasted about sort of two miles or so. Um, then bumped into another friend who was coming to support and. Seeing them really lifted me up, which was great. By that point, the carbohydrate I had in that sort of pit stop where I saw the support team had got into my system a little bit, so mentally you don't want to throw in the towel anymore. And I realised I just need to run a lot slower. (laughs) So the heart rate came down. Suddenly the sweat rate came down a little bit too, so the fluid I'm taking on was sticking. It was actually rehydrating me. So got to about the... 40 mile point, maybe a bit less than that, 35 mile point, and the route, so it was called the Robin Hood 100, it's a 100 mile route, and then it goes around almost like a bow tie shape, so there's a loop at the bottom that you go around twice, and I got to this checkpoint where you then go and do the loop, and stupidly I followed the path instead of doubling back to do this extra loop. So I was cracking on, I was following my watch. I invested some money into a watch that bleeped at you when you're 25 metres off course. So I was following my watch, and it was saying I was en route, on on the right path, which was great. I I was actually quite pleased with my running at this point, got into a nice rhythm. After about, I don't know, maybe half an hour, 35 minutes, I got a phone call saying, James, you're now third in the race, which you definitely weren't. We think you've gone wrong. And it was one of my friends, and um, like, I was like, oh, no, I think because of the, because of the loops, it throws out the, the order, uh, sort of said hopefully. And they're like, no, no, you're, you're miles away from where you should be meeting us. You've gone the wrong way. You need to go back to that checkpoint. <sighs> so that was a, a bit of a punch in the gut. Um, I received that. When, as I received that phone call, I sort of sat down in the middle of the field. I was in, thinking, God, James, you just don't make life difficult. You don't make life easy for yourself. So I cracked back on running right back to that checkpoint and um, told the volunteers that the support plate had gone wrong and you know got a little bit of sympathy but there's just nothing you can do. Uh, I looked at my watch and I'd run I think an extra six miles so I just had to you know take that on the gym and then crack on with the loop. <laughs> By this stage I was really struggling to eat solid food. I was Using that technique of water in the mouth, crunch it down, swallow it whole. Although it is now making me feel
0: really bloated and experience quite a bit of discomfort in the lower stomach or sort of around the gut area. And I think, I was like, God, maybe my undershorts are too tight as well. <laughs> you just have mm. all these weird feelings where you think, mm. just,
1: why isn't it? it? It's not just running.
0: How many hours are you in there, mate? Just interject by that point. Oh, here. yeah. So
1: this is the race started at 8 a.m. Um, a marathon was about four hours, four and a bit. So by this stage, we're almost one, was where? So probably about 2 a.m., 2 o'clock, half two. So around lunchtime, late lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, we had planned to meet the support crew again in this loop. And when I met them, I was meet, greet, you know, greeted by a massive Mr. Whippy ice cream, which was just phenomenal because couldn't really chew food. So having some carbohydrate coming in that you could, well, taste it like ice cream, obviously. So it was delicious and that was amazing. So I'd recommend anyone doing long distance to have your support cream, get some sort of ice cream. That's a nice little pick me up, especially if you're hot on a hot day, just the emotional element of the food was great. And um, I think in that moment I realized that I didn't actually care that much about my time anymore because I think I learned this on the return from my detour, but having gone out way too fast, bonked, run the wrong way, I was thinking this has just gone completely not to plan. So why not now take an extra 20, 25 minutes and sit with my friends, my support crew, who have travelled all this way up here to sort of catch a glimpse of me and have been hanging around all day. So that was really nice. I'm very glad I did that. I think if i were to do another ultra i'd probably look for a more of a time goal and i'd go for it and not be as um social but i'm glad i did take that break like had a complete reset got more liquid carbohydrate on and then set off again and came back around to the end of that sherwood forest loop i think this is about the 45 mile point oh no it's less than that god uh, probably 40 miles then you have to sort of crack on going through um, Creswell Crags and you go back in around sort of National Park. Food-wise, I was now sipping on a sugar fluid solution. So I'd realised that I just couldn't really eat solid food anymore. So I decided to make a change on the fly and at the aid station, fill up my camel bag, which did just have squashing electrolytes in and i was actually using quite strong electrolytes because i know i've got a very high sweat sodium concentration but i saw people having coffee and they were just you know had a big bag of sugar there now putting sugar in people's coffee so i said can i just pour some of that sugar into my camelback so it was quite a crude way of determining how much sugar was going in it i was just pouring it and eyeballing it fortunately i've done this quite a few times to try and make my own sports drinks at home so I was aiming for about 120 grams of sugar in my two litre bags. I had a 6% solution, so it was equivalent to about Aid Sport. And I thought that's going to help hydrate me because it's not too um, concentrated a solution, but it's also going to be giving me carbohydrate. Drink. So that worked really well, actually. And then I knew if I was consuming that two litres, between then and maybe a checkpoint in two checkpoints time, I would have had 30 grams of carbohydrate an hour. So that sort of gave me some confidence then. I mean, obviously it wasn't gonna be exactly 120 grams. It was, it was very finger in the wind pouring it, but it worked really well. So sitting from a candle pack, enjoying the rest of the day. And then by this stage, the day was turning to night. So it was probably going from sort of 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. to 7 you start losing the the daylight. And this actually made me run with quite a lot more confidence because suddenly it was cooler and my sweat rate was a lot lower. And being a a fairly heavy sweater yourself, suddenly if you're not sweating as much, it's just so much more pleasant because the fluids you're taking on board are sticking, um, you're not running as dehydrated, it becomes easier to eat food. So I came into the the halfway checkpoint now at at dusk. So it just turned dark. So it must've been about half 7 p.m. Donned my head torch, looked at my drop bag and thought, God, this has gone completely off plan. So instead of picking up all those solid foods, the potatoes, I ended up just putting the two gels that I had packed into my bag, took away a lot of the weight from the pack, flatjacks were working so I put flatjacks in my pack and topped up my camel pack with more sugar and thought well this is going to be me I think for the rest of the run it's going to be sugar in in my camel pack and the old flatjack
0: wow wow mate if we just reflect on that first 50 miles give you a little because you've been
1: yeah no sorry I've been monologuing no it's
0: fantastic so I think it's brilliant it gives you a little bit of a rest too because I'm just thinking about a few things and then if the listeners are reflecting on a few things as well so obviously peaks and troughs uh, in the race for the first 50 miles, like you said, Um, that confidence to not worry too much about the time, the 20 hours, letting that kind of go, enjoying the social aspect and those massive morale boosters of um, seeing people, it getting a bit cooler, getting on top of your sweat rate. And the key thing that I'm hearing is moisture, creating moisture because those more solid foods that are dry they're harder to take in because of the heat and like you said you uh, went out a bit quicker but you're a confident guy you, you know you're an athlete you're a competitor so you wanted to give it a go so i think there's there's some really interesting learnings there and without going too far back like you said the kind of um anxiety and the the, the massive um kind of uh, event that was ahead of you you know it is normal to feel how you felt because you'd never encountered that that kind of colossal race before you'd had the odd 40 in the bag that went really well which is still a phenomenal run Um, so mate that's really interesting so far looking forward to hearing about the next 50 miles but yeah i'm the same as you the sweat rate i had a a tough experience in italy doing a 29 miler and i told myself after that that um summer racing and and just running when it's hot Um, not that it would never be possible for me to recover my fluids, but I just thought from now on, if I'm doing ultramarathons has to be winter. So for me, the sweet spot is doing, you know, a run December, January kind of time, or maybe for the first three months of a, of a new year, exactly for what you were saying, you know, and I still sweat in, 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 in those cold um, events as well. So it's fascinating. You learn every time you do one of these things and then figuring out how to adjust. Obviously I've never done anything um like you in terms of that length and 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 going through all those peaks and troughs and i was the same flapjacks really worked i kept them in my gums sometimes just holding things in the mouth for sweetness and the same as you finding that liquid even though that's maybe not what i planned to begin with just using liquid nutrition more often and because you're running slower and you're trying to keep on top of your hydration you know those higher calorie foods maybe aren't as appropriate um as as you think they are but later on in the race they may be but it's interesting we're always trying to battle that that kind of energy deficit aren't we and especially as practitioners that's always in the back of our minds like we don't want to get too far in lose too many calories but you've always got to then think of what's practical and how the gut's going so cool if, you, if you're if you happy to kind of carry on i thought i'd just reflect on that so that's the first 50 miles mate that's fantastic insights
1: yeah it's, it's funny though because i mean as a practitioner one of the rules that you give up most often or a piece of advice to add to clients is you know don't do in the race what you haven't done in training so i practiced all those foods that worked well in training but i hadn't practiced them in that heat in that with that intensity under that duress so with
0: such low fluid levels in the mouth and also how do you practice for the second 50 miles which you've never done so there does have to be an element of well
1: let's let's try and stack the deck in your favor and give you options yeah you can then react on the fly.
0: but that's why you entered it as well that unknown that that next 50 miles that you're about to go through is why you entered it because you wanted to see how how you held up really so that's that's the incredible thing about the challenge really isn't it
1: yeah and so after the the 50 miles I was planning on meeting the support team who were maybe a kilometre or a mile after that 50-mile checkpoint. So I tried not to linger too long there as I knew I was going to have a bit of a break when I saw the support crew. By this point, it was dark, so completely pitched back, hit head, head torches sort of bobbing along to them, and saw them, took a, another 15-20 minute break, just accepting that, you know, I want to spend some time with these guys, they're going to be driving home after this. So... They all had fish and chips, so Verity was trying to get me to eat um, fish and chips. I sort of managed a couple of chips, but didn't really want to eat much. I'd actually managed to eat two bananas at the halfway checkpoint from my drop bag. And a funny funny anecdote on that is, in the first first 25 miles, um, the food I had in my bag, I had two bananas, which I was planning on eating so sort of, I planned it to a tee. I was, you know, going to have one banana at half an hour and the second banana at an hour, so that I had 40 grams of carbs for the first hour and all of this. And went into my bag on an hour, and the banana is just mashed. And you, you open it up and you think, God, it's it's almost liquid inside. It's just been so mangled from bouncing around on your back. Yeah. So even though the banana was ideal because you know it's fairly easy to get down, you just can't really practically transport it. So instead of putting the banana in my bag at the halfway point, I just tried to eat two of them. So I had two bananas then at that checkpoint. So then I didn't actually need that much food when I met up with the support team again a couple of miles later. I think they were very pleased to see how much better I was looking in myself because I had tried to put on a really brave face the first time I saw them uh, at sort of 24 mile point. But we'd now looped around. It was 28 miles further on, so we'd just gone 50 miles. And I was actually confident that I was going to finish because it was cooler, because i changed my nutrition plans so that I was more comfortable running, didn't have that stitch in the lower um, gut, and just set off into the night, really. And the night run was a lot of fun. I quite like night running. Have you done much night running, man?
0: not at all no i know we spoke about it a bit um you know before the show a few weeks ago on instagram but no it's not something i've done at all so that must be an interesting yeah. experience obviously head torch and like you said it's a lot cooler quite quiet you kind of have to just obviously focus on one foot in front of the other if you know is that right yeah yeah
1: it's it's something i had never done until i got quite deep into the ultra training plan so i thought actually i probably need to practice running at night if i'm going to have to navigate and all of this stuff so I, I went out for a few runs, but in my training plan, and the night running, I enjoyed so much. It's, it's strange, I, I'd always thought, well, why would you wanna run when you should be sleeping? But actually, you don't even have to do that. You can just run sort of maybe nine till 10 p.m. or get up early before the day breaks. And putting your head torch on, it suddenly makes the world a lot smaller because you're, you're only really able to see four meters, five meters in front in this bubble So you're able to look at the floor and it's a lot quieter. So any sort of rustling from animals in the woods or in the forest, you you hear a lot more clearly. And it allows you to really zone in to the running a lot more than when you're just running normally. So if you're someone who runs with headphones on and you're running just because you have to run and it's part of your training and you just want to, you know, almost, escape from the running and try and block it out, then i say it's probably not for you. But if you're someone who runs without headphones, you like looking around at stuff, you like listening to your breathing, all of that, then running at night with a head torch is a lot of of fun. It does make it so much easier to zone in. And I was then just really focusing on running form and breathing. I knew it was about 10 miles until I was going to see Verity again for my first Big hit of caffeine. So I just got into a pretty nice groove actually. And up until that point, post bonk, I had been walking hills as well. I say hills, it was a very, very flat race. So I was walking if there was a slight incline and then running flats, and my running wasn't that quick. But as soon as it became the night section, then, and I knew I had 10 miles to this checkpoint or meet point with Verity. I just got into a nice groove. I ended up not, not uh, walking at all, so I was even running up the hills a bit, and it was quite a big boost to morale, thinking, yeah, I'm doing this, James, you're going okay. Um, unfortunately, it meant I arrived at the meet point about 40 minutes sooner than I should have done, so wasn't able to see Verity and sort of thought oh, i was cut my losses here and, and crack on. But the phone went, and they were only a little bit behind so i backtracked a bit because i was quite keen to have some coffee um big caffeine responder so had this coffee and you know ding 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 ding! (laughs) suddenly you're you're awake you're alert um eyes wide and that then made the the next section which was that forest loop again a lot more bearable i was just reciting my mantra in my head quite a lot of the time which was my answer to why i was doing the
2: event Mm. um my mantra was you're doing this for the life experience to look back upon and smile feel the
0: moment now land on the tripod stay elastic you got this i was just going over and over in my mind through the night section which was quite fun that's interesting, mate. When you're in deep exactly what you used to go to um and then do you actually say it out loud?
1: I wasn't saying it out loud, I was saying it in my head, but I mean I probably should have said it out loud, it might have had more of an impact.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, the thing well, obviously I've never gone twenty you know, twenty three hours and fifty five minutes, I think, that, like you said, that took you the race, but I think I've done the ones that I've done that have been eight hours or so when I'm in that kind of feeling that you were feeling in the night, I kinda of had this um thing that i uh, focus on and it's i'm in this room and there's this um thing trying to come through the door and i've got i've got uh, my wife brianie behind me and my family and i'm on the door so that's something that i focus on when uh, when i'm in that super visual yeah 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 so i can i, I imagine that and i'm like well because i'm not running quick because at that point we're obviously we both understand where we are in terms of our plodding and everything's very efficient and you're like right let's just keep that here that that thing is not coming through you're holding on and then you've got x amount of time left they're all waiting for you you know they're taking time out of their day yeah. to see you at the end of this race stop fucking around get get there so yeah, yeah. it's interesting you're I really like that mantra and that's a brilliant soundbite as well i might clip that up and use it um for, yeah, for that, the show
1: i mean i i tried to put quite a bit of time into working out exactly what it was going to be and I was doing that through my training runs because I wanted it to focus on the bigger picture so to take me out of the moment and be like okay why are you doing this well if you want to have it on your life cv basically so you can be like oh yeah I did do one of those but then also transport me back to the moment because I wanted to be able to enjoy the experience even if it was pain landing on a painful blister. Repeatedly, I wanted to actually be present through that, even though it sounds a little sadistic. So, then, and then that little hint around form and a bit of motivation at the end. Mm. And it was actually at that stage that my feet did start to hurt a little bit. I mean, it was, it was quite crazy that I'd already
0: run 65 miles and my feet were incredible, Nick. They, they didn't hurt at all. I felt great. God, yeah. It's mad that they weren't stumps, mate. You were just running on stumps at that point, you know? <laughs> like, eroded. Yeah. <laughs> um, I basically... You didn't change I, shoes, did you? You stayed the same pair of shoes for the whole event? Because I've ran with people who change shoes in some of these kind of events. Obviously not the length you've done, but some people like that, you know, new shoes, new socks, drop bag, or at some event... You know, I, I change uh, my top because I do get very sweaty, but I've never experimented with, with a shoe change. Did yeah, you, did
1: I do. Did, I did four sock changes. Yeah, I go. Um, well, no, sorry, three sock changes every marathon and probably went through four or five tops. Yeah. Didn't change my shoes. I had packed uh, a spare pair where I thought I might want to use for the last 25, but I don't know. At that point, I just thought, I'm just I'm happy just to keep going. I had regrettably made the decision to use barefoot shoes. So I, I was wearing my barefoot trail shoes, which I'd done all my training in. However, when I did the 40 mile race, it was maybe the last couple of miles I thought, actually my toes starting to rub at the end here. And I think by 35, 40 miles, your feet start to swell a little bit. And I think my right foot must be slightly bigger than my left foot because just at the very tip of my right toe, I was feeling it now make contact with the end of my barefoot trail shoe. And that meant that whenever I stood on a, a slight bump in the path, like a little tiny stone or a twig or even just an uneven bit of floor, it meant that that toe got slapped into the top of the the shoe and i think that just became increasingly uncomfortable when it was sort of developing a blister around that big toenail if i was half a size shoe up i don't think that would have happened because it didn't happen on my left foot so it's just interesting on that one but Mm. the fact that i was wearing barefoot shoes means you have a little bit less protection so even though i'd done all my training in them i think just the sheer distance meant that now the floor felt a little bit more uncomfortable and I think with hindsight, I would have moved to a shoe early on in my training plan
0: that was still zero drop, but had a little bit more cushion. shoe. Yeah. It's interesting to reflect on, isn't it? And then for future events and things for you to experiment with. So, wow. So is that uh, 70 odd miles, 75, 80 miles by it, then? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, finished off the, that loop again. And that takes you to a 70 mile point. Wow. Um, had another coffee. I now sort of build this into whenever I'm into an aid station, I'd fill up my camel pack with yeah. that sugar electrolyte, and I'd also have a little coffee, yeah. just as a little pick-me-up. So not big doses each time, just lots of little drip-feeding caffeine into my system. so mm. felt absolutely wired running at night. Now, um, it's, it's a really strange feeling, actually, because your brain and your body are completely there, completely different places in that brain... Artificially alert, very very wired, couldn't sleep then completely because of all the caffeine and sugar. But your body's just tired, you know. Kind of conv- the brain is convincing the body that hey, this is okay, we, we're able to do this. Let's just keep going. So I was running fine, getting through the night, um, running with a few people, but not really. Um, I, I thought people would run together a lot more than they did. Everyone seemed to be very interested in their own race and just happy to crack on at their own pace so that was fine i i didn't want to listen to my headphones at that point i was happy just being in the moment i think Um, it sounds really stupid saying that but just i didn't want to dull any of the senses even though they were probably giving me quite a lot of pain i was putting increasing amount of focus on looking at the floor because of the pain in my feet now, with the barefoot shoes and the blisters developing, I just had to land on flat, or otherwise it was really quite painful, Um, to a point where if I'd land on a little sharp stone, I'd sort of be making quite audible groans (laughs) or grunts. Um, Came in, back round of that loop, and we're at the 80, 80 mile mark. Where it's basically the final stretch. Like you go out, you get on the canal, which is a sort of a brutally long 14, 15 miles just down the canal before the three miles home.
0: Oh, some weary souls around there by then, I bet, mate. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and I, I probably want to shout out the the volunteers because at yeah. every aid station, even through the night, they're just there's
0: so much energy. It's Legend. fantastic. They're like, hey, like what do you need? There's food fluids let's get a coffee amazing great amazing so anyone who does volunteering at an ultra event big kudos to
1: you because you're not even running you're probably quite cold but you've just sort of got to give energy to people running 80 miles um at this point reached the drop bags i did my final prep in whatever flapjacks and stuff i thought i'm just gonna put enough food fluids in my bag to get me home i don't have to stop again yeah and I'll try and explain what it's like to get moving again after 80 miles because I by, by this checkpoint I faffed quite a lot at the A station. I was chatting with the volunteers, like mm. so engaged in like, what they would do. I was asking way too many questions and just trying to sort out my drop bag and get my nutrition plan right basically lingering around for almost 20 minutes. I don't know what I was doing. That's one of the things that I think my race time, if you wanted to go faster, you just taper down all of this faffing at aid station and you'll be you'll be laughing. Um trying to get running, um I was always typing up almost a blog in the week after this and the way I explained it was like my it's like my body was a a really Old foldable chair, and the mechanism will become a bit cranky. So it's sort of snapped shut during this aid station. And then to get it functioning again as a chair, you kind of have to like crack it open, and then it might work. So you you kind of start to run, although if you've done let's say like a really heavy leg workout, you've done loads and loads of squats, and then two days later when the DOMs are really peaking. It's it's like someone says, Hey, let's go for a run and you kind of oh like ooh, that's painful. Right? Like, mm. So it takes you maybe hundred meters or so to get into a stride and then your body's or your body sort of like, Oh, okay, we are running again, this is happening, let's okay, let's try and do this. But the pain's just there. I think the, the pain will always be there. You just end up tolerating it mm. and your level of tolerance just increases throughout the whole race so from what you're putting up with at the start it's not really there but it's probably ground level and then as you get on and on i mean right up to the last three miles where i'll talk you through that but it was exceptional and i felt quite powerful in a way because i thought god i can just tolerate this which was quite crazy um so i went down the canal the canal was brutal didn't it just went, I was endless the last sort of 15 miles back in. Um, I, I was really pumping my arms to, to get my body to move. And I'm not sure how much detail you want me to go into, but up until this point, I hadn't had a number two. Because of the low fiber that I talked through in the 48 hours prior, I didn't really have anything going on down there. But I know the speed of my gut um, from monitoring it with beetroot and uh, sweet corn and stuff like that, and it's about 19 hours. So the food I'd taken on in those first three, four hours with a lot of you know whole food were actually starting to to make moves, and it happened really quite suddenly, and it's suddenly quite urgent. But I had to take a wild pit stop with about four miles to go. Mm. This was just after I'd seen Verity and basically bragged to them that I hadn't needed to go to the toilet the whole time and it was, was going to be fine. Mm. And so this was, uh, this when I met them, it was about six miles to go. And she was like, James, you, you know, you're easily going to do 24 hours. This is great. I was thinking, okay, like, let's just get this thing done now. So 6am by this stage, dawn breaking, sun slowly coming up. Look back at the video because we posted on Instagram at that point, and I look hollow. <laughs>
0: like, my eyes are wired from caffeine, but you can see there's just not that much going on behind them. Um, yeah, like a raver, mate. Thought, like a, like a raver out in Berlin all night, yeah, and you just submerge yeah. <laughs> out of a two day <laughs> club. Like, um, explanation. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah so it looked like this sort of deluded raver coming back in i mean very funny get up for a raver with this camelback strapped on but bowled in recited my magic camera like i actually had some sushi rice at that point because we'd had sushi and that went down really well i bet had final coffee i'm thinking right let's just get this done six miles to go i looked at my watch and it actually said 100 miles because of the detour I'd done. Yeah. So that was quite brutal thinking, okay, he's got to do, do some extra reps and finish this off now. Yeah. Um, ran on and that was when the, the urgency to evacuate my bowel came. Um, i mean do you you want me to go into that it was quite funny but i don't know it's also a little bit grim do you want me to get into that
0: i think it's part of it isn't it if people are listening to this and and they're trying to because i used to be like that when i first started doing some ultra marathons again obviously nowhere near the distance you've done but you try to prevent it and then you realize it's actually it's not trying to prevent it it's just realizing it's it will happen so when it happens just you know trying to do it in a smart way out of the way making sure you've got what you need and then actually the kind of elation of afterwards and and, and, and moving on and you know feeling great but to be honest I was the same as you it was it was after an aid station when I'd seen my dad and I think the emotion of seeing someone and feeling great this was at a marathon point and I'd probably had maybe a few uh, 100 millilitres of actually no it wasn't it was an extra caffeine chewing gum that I really needed so the emotional response plus the caffeine and then everything started moving and i had to I had to go so but you tried not to i tried to leave it for 10 minutes and and that makes it even worse so i completely get where you were at that point well not because obviously i hadn't done 95 miles by then but yeah it's interesting and then you get back on the trail don't you and and you kind of recover yourself and then and then get you know you kind of get going again don't you so but it is a yeah it's a, it's a strange situation in itself to say the least <laughs>
1: yeah something I like you said you want to prepare for it so i had the the wet wipes in the bottom of my yeah, bag yeah, yeah. Of a empty zip bag just in case i had to put wet back in and all that but it was just comical it was so funny because you know normally you just you crouch down you'd get into this little bit of a squat and you do your business but after 95 miles squatting was just was so unexpected an exertion that your my legs were tremble they were wobbling so wow, much but- and that made me then quite nervous to think, God, what if I slip over here? Yeah. This is just going to be so grim. You're down. <laughs> um, so,
0: yeah. But you got through it. <laughs> <laughs> Managed to survive not uh, slipping, yeah. Yeah.
1: And I did the business and sorted it all out. And then was about to get back on the path before I thought, no, like there, there was a second coming, Matt. It was, and by this stage, it was, the floodgates had opened before. So there was just no time. So I quickly dropped undershorts shorts and wasn't even able to get into a, a squat so it was sort of folded in half
0: um, pure deck know, chair pure deck chair god
1: yeah it was um again very very fortunate that none of it landed on uh on my shorts yeah because that would have made the last four miles um even yeah, even more grip. Greater, I think. Grip. <laughs> oh well done <laughs> yeah So cracked on down the canal, reached the final A station with three miles to go. The race director was there. It was really nice to just to talk to him and find out how the race was from his perspective. Although now, with my quite unexpected pit stop being longer than I thought, I was actually quite pushed for time to finish in 24 hours. So I looked at my watch and the brain slowly worked out that it was going to be about 35 minutes to run three miles. Wow. Which normally probably isn't actually that strenuous, but considering the pace I had been running for the last 30 miles, it, I needed to run a lot faster. So, left the A station thinking, right, you can do this James, like positivity, let's just crack on. And then it was immediately faced by quite a, a quite a steep tractor hill. So there's a tractor path going up a hill. Um, through the we're off the canals now through the sort of farmland in the last three miles and walked it didn't even try and run Mm. but reached acceptance in my brain hey it's okay you can you don't need this 24 hours accolade like it's fine um got to the top though and then the ego started trying to combat like different argument well maybe we do maybe you do want it um so you sort of, right, let's, let's just start trying to run a bit faster, see how we go. But by this stage, the the two uh, matching blisters underneath the balls of my feet, just on by the, the second and third big toes. And that was exactly where I was pushing off. And I think because of the barefoot shoe and the trail having loads of these little stones, the tractor path was potholed with potholes and also quite sharp little stones and as I started to try and push and run faster I just couldn't look at my foot placement as accurately so I was constantly landing on these little sharp spikes and that was like a little it felt like a nail going into a blister it was just agony but I thought hey boy you're almost done now you can just put up with this you can just go for it and another very strange thing was Normally, in a, when you go for a run, if you want to run fast, you feel limited by like, the lactate or to like, so that hot sensation or your heart rate feels like it's way too high or your breathing gets out of control and that's what stops you going faster and it was so surreal to have none of those things stopping you go faster and it was just your body just doesn't want to do it <laughs> because those things are when you're actually at quite high intensity so those weren't really governing the the you can't move that fast it was just the body like nah we've, we've had enough of this wow so trying to override that and push but fortunately gravity then helped me out there's i've gone up the hill there was then a, quite a downhill and i bit the bullet hard and just let the, let the legs spin so that i really got a shimmy on and that was absolutely excruciating i I can't express the pain on every footfall um, running on with massive blisters over potted terrain on very tired legs. Two miles to go now, like the sun's fully up. Um, started overtaking some people so the ego's getting a nice little stroke there as I'm running faster. And we go over to a field. I I think, what, what the hell's going on here? Where's the path? Um, I look at my watch, and it's like, yeah, the, the path should be going across this field. And then I, I see a couple of fellow runners sort of almost stranded midway through this field. I'm thinking, what? This isn't right. The reason the path had gone is that we'd run this way out on the, on the way there, and the path was there. But the farmer had got up in the middle of the night and freshly ploughed his field. Wow. So it was soft it was so deep soft dry earth um so then it's like running through a a deep sandy beach it was on those legs and feet where you then have to pick up your knees and run really hard was just brutal but i mentally felt in quite a good space because i was able to put up with all the, the pain basically so i just cracked on through this and then pushed through for that last mile, turned down the hill and bowled into the cricket club and, and then that was my race. God, and that. that was me pulling in and just managed with five minutes to spare get under that 24-hour
0: mark. Wow, mate, that last three miles, that's fascinating. Incredible insights there to, like you said, again, the peaks and troughs in terms of the pain, but um, the ego side of things, the competitive side of yourself, wanting to do it, wanting to get through it, that change in terrain um wow and i didn't yeah i didn't know about any of that kind of last last bit of the race either obviously after following some of it on social media you can't obviously capture anything so man that's incredible you, you've been so generous with going through kind of everything to do with that 100 mile race it's been absolutely brilliant hearing about it and hopefully people have found um yeah found the show useful and um insightful and it's good having a longer form conversation we've been going almost an hour and 10 which is which is brilliant but i think it's what it needs um to capture you know a a few of your experiences over that incredible challenge um that is absolutely brilliant and i think obviously because that would be another show in itself but in terms of recovery i can see that you're obviously documenting that on your on your instagram so i'd say to people definitely follow james if you're listening to this to get some insights into how you're recovering um because yeah you're 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 putting your feet up for a bit aren't you mate or actually no you're not you're um you've actually got a marathon coming up so and that's probably another conversation in itself but I think that's brilliant for, <laughs> for people to follow isn't it you're you're recovering slash about to then run a road marathon within what a couple of weeks after the hundred miler so that's that's something to maybe leave as a as a knife uh, a nice cliffhanger for people to then keep in touch with you
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think uh, what I want to say is I, think I was very naive with how well I thought my body would recover I thought it was just going to be muscular but there was so much internal dysregulation that I wasn't expecting that I've now had to sort of come over before getting ready for the marathon
0: wow and you're so you know you're so generous with your time that if people do want to reach out and contact you what's the what's the best way of doing it if they want to hear more about that 100 miler if they want to hear more about your six-week challenge if they have any questions for you personally if anyone's listening to this what's the best way to contact you mate
1: it's probably through instagram so my handle is nutrition.for.energy. and just drop me a dm yeah like you said i'm I'm happy to chat happy to give advice and hopefully um, allow people to go through not quite such the experience i did with by taking on any learnings And if you want to find out more about the six week challenge, I have a website where there's so much information about that. It's also nutritionforenergy.co.uk. And then you'll be able to find the six week challenge on there.
0: Perfect. Perfect. All that's in the show notes, lovely people. And mate, thanks again for your time and going through your story. You know, the, the physical side, the emotional side all of the practical information, it's, it's been, yeah, an absolute joy. I'm, I feel so privileged to be able to capture that information. And if you like the show, lovely people, or you think it'll be useful for someone, a friend, a family member, you know, a fellow athlete, competitor, then please pass it along. So take care, speak to you next time and have a fantastic week.